Hi, I'm Nim, and this is a spoonful of medicine, topping up your pediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. On this week's episode, we're taking a look at neonatal thrombocytopenia, when those platelets are low. We'll have a look at the timing in which different causes for thrombocytopenia may present, as well as the approach to the workup of a baby with thrombocytopenia. We'll then have a bit of a detailed look at alloimmune thrombocytopenia as well as autoimmune thrombocytopenia in the neonate. So by the end of this episode, you'll be all on top of how to approach a baby with low platelets. Let's go. So what is thrombocytopenia? In the neonate, thrombocytopenia is defined as platelets that are below the lower limit of normal or in other words, less than 150 times 10 to the power 9 platelets per litre. Once the platelets are below 100, there is a significant risk of spontaneous bleeding. If platelets are between 2 and 100, there is a mild risk. If they're between 5 and 20, there's a moderate risk. And if there's below 5, that is a high risk. Physiologically, platelet counts decrease over the first few days after birth, but then they begin to pick up and rise by the first week of life. Generally speaking, about 2% of healthy term infants will have low platelets that fall below the 150 times 10 to the power 9 benchmark. About 20% of neonates, less than 28 weeks gestation will actually develop severe thrombocytopenia. And the cause is most likely acquired, with less than 1% of the cases being a genetic etiology. So, what causes neonatal thrombocytopenia? Well, we can split it up into when a neonate may present. We can split it up into fetal, early onset, or less than 72 hours, and late onset, or more than 72 hours. We can also further subdivide it at if the baby is well appearing or not well appearing. In terms of fetal causes of thrombocytopenia, common causes include alloimmune thrombocytopenia, which can cause a severe thrombocytopenia, autoimmune thrombocytopenia, as well as congenital infections such as CMV, toxoplasmosis, and rubella. Additionally, aneuploidy or T13, 18, or 21 and Turner syndrome can also cause thrombocytopenia in the fetus. Then, let's take a look at early onset neonatal thrombocytopenia. So that's someone who's coming in less than 72 hours of age with low platelets. Common causes in an unwell-looking neonate include sepsis, torch infections, birth-related asphyxia, DIC, or necrotizing enterocolitis. Rarer causes in the unwell neonate include chromosomal disorders such as trisomy 13, 18, and 21. Causes for thrombocytopenia in the early stage in a well-appearing neonate include placental insufficiency, autoimmune thrombocytopenia, alloimmune thrombocytopenia, as well as occult infection. Rarer causes in the well-appearing neonate include congenital syndromes such as Bernard-Solier, Wishcott-Aldrich syndrome, thrombocytopenia, absent radii, and other vascular tumours or Kalbach-Merritt. 
Next, if we look at late onset neonatal thrombocytopenia or above 72 hours of age, in the unwell looking baby, we should be thinking sepsis, thrombosis, DIC, necrotizing enterocolitis, or drug-induced causes. It's uncommon for the unwell neonate to have an inborn area of metabolism or anemia, but that should be in the back of your mind. In the well-appearing full-term neonate who presents with late-onset low platelets, we should think of an occult infection or early necrotizing enterocolitis. Again, inborn errors of metabolism should be in the back of your mind, but they are uncommon. Cool. Now that we know what could cause neonatal thrombocytopenia, let's have a look at how a baby may present. It's important to note that a low platelet count in an otherwise healthy term newborn is due to neonatal or alloimmune thrombocytopenia until proven otherwise because this is a diagnosis you never want to miss. Signs of thrombocytopenia include petechiae and purpura that may be seen on the skin, oral mucosa, or present as GI bleeding. Assess for signs or features of hemodynamic instability that may make you think about sepsis. Also examine the abdomen. Is there concern for necrotizing enterocolitis? Also have a look at the baby to look for features of a torch infection. This could include microcephaly, organomegaly, or a blueberry muffin type rash. Also have a look at the maternal serology antenatally. Next, assess for any vascular malformations that you may see on the baby. These can be localized skin reactions or discoloration, or there may be a palpated mass, as they may represent an underlying hemangioma or cashback merit syndrome. Also, have a look at the upper limb of these babies, because rare syndromes such as thrombocytopenia, absent radii, or TAR syndrome is easily appreciated on an examination. Does the baby look syndromic, such as T21 or T18, because these are causes of thrombocytopenia as well? And it kind of goes without saying, but if the baby is unstable or has florid petechiae purpura and you're concerned, escalate soon, escalate quickly, and ask for assistance. So, you have a baby with low platelets. How do you go about investigating? Firstly, in the well neonate, it's worth repeating a full blood count to ensure that the platelet count is indeed accurate. You can then assess if the platelets are only the cell line that is low or if there's other cell lines also affected because if it's a pancytopenia, for example, the approach is different. Also, you'd want to get a smear because small platelets can be seen in syndromes such as wishcott aldrich syndrome and X-linked thrombocytopenia, while large platelets are found in Jacobson syndrome. If the baby appears unwell, do a septic workup and treat as sepsis in the first instance. If you're thinking about neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia, testing for antiplatelet antibodies should be sent on the infant and the mother. If the baby has a bleeding diathesis, our concern is that they could be bleeding into a body cavity, and namely, that's the head. 
So, in babies with platelets that are less than 50, or you're suspecting a diagnosis of NATE, or you have any neurological concerns, get an urgent head ultrasound. In terms of the general management of neonatal thrombocytopenia, it really depends on the underlying cause, as well as what the baby looks like and the platelet count. In the well neonate, in the absence of compelling physical findings, management of thrombocytopenia rests on the platelet count and clinical signs of bleeding. In the unwell neonate, the diagnosis of sepsis must be covered for, and then the workup being done in tandem. If a baby needs a platelet transfusion, in Queensland, in our guidelines, the volume of platelets to be transfused is 10 to 20 mils per kilo. This transiently increases the platelet count by about 50 to 100. Usually, the platelets are transfused over 30 minutes. And it's important to monitor the platelet count one hour after the transfusion to look for incrementation. Okay, so now let's shift gears and take a look at NATE or neonatal alloimmune thrombocytopenia. NATE results from maternal human platelet antibodies or HPA against fetal platelet antigens that are inherited from the father. That's a bit confusing, so I'll repeat it again. It results from maternal human platelet antibodies against fetal platelet antigens that are inherited from the father. If we break it down, the baby inherits platelet antigens from the father that the mother does not have and so we have an antigen positive fetus. If these fetal antigen positive platelets enter the maternal circulation, the antigen negative mother mounts an immune response and there's maternal alloimmunization with the creation of IgG antibodies. These maternal IgG antiplatelet antibodies then pass transplacentally back into the fetus thereby degrading the fetal platelets and causing fetal and therefore neonatal thrombocytopenia. Antigens that are capable of triggering NATE are carried on platelet membrane glycoproteins such as the von Willebrand receptor, the fibrinogen receptor, as well as the collagen receptor. You may be thinking that this pathophysiology sounds really similar to rhesus hemolytic disease of the newborn. But in contrast to recess hemolytic disease, platelet alloimmunization can occur during the first pregnancy. Also, it's important to note when we look at investigations that maternal platelets are not targeted and thus they will be within normal range. Some specific HPAs increase the possibility of alloimmunization during pregnancy, and these include HPA 1A, 5B, and 15B, which are common among Europeans, as well as HPA 4B, which is quite common among Asians. In terms of epidemiology, NATE affects an estimated 1 in 800 to 1 in 1,000 children. The severe thrombocytopenia caused by NATE carries a significant potential for morbidity and mortality. 10 to 30% of newborns with NATE develop an intracranial hemorrhage. That is a lot of babies. And half of these with an intracranial hemorrhage will be in utero. Neurological sequelae can happen in 20% and death can occur in up to 10%. NATE can present with unexpected bruising and purpura, or it can be the cause of a severe intracranial hemorrhage. 
The history of thrombocytopenia in a previous sibling at birth makes the diagnosis almost certain. The mum may also have a history of recurrent fetal loss or stillbirth. Signs of mucosal bleeding in the profoundly thrombocytic baby, it can be bruising or bleeding, excessive hematoma at the start of an injection, or an intracranial hemorrhage leading to hydrocephalus. If we next look at the investigations for a baby that we suspect to have named, we can take blood from the baby to get a full blood count to confirm the platelet count. In the mum, we want to see if she had a full blood count in pregnancy that was normal. We also can send off maternal blood for genotyping as well as for antiplatelet antibodies. It's also helpful to get paternal blood to use for genotyping because this can show if there's a genotype mismatch between the mother and father and a genotype matching between the infant and the father. If there's no paternal blood available or paternity is uncertain, you can genotype the child or the babies. Practically, testing for antiplatelet antibodies should be sent off in the infant and the mother. If they are positive, both parents as well as the neonate should be genotyped for the five most commonly identified HPA types that are involved with NATE. The reason why we genotype is because establishing the involved platelet antigen as well as paternal hetero or homozygosity has significant implications for reproductive planning for families affected by NATE. Recurrence of NATE in subsequent pregnancies if the fetus carries the incompatible antigen is more than 90%. Unfortunately, more than 80% of neonatal thrombocytopenia believed clinically to be caused by NATE lacks demonstrable HPA incompatibility, and there are limited data on patterns of HPA incompatibility in non-Caucasian populations. Nonetheless, it's really important to try to get a genotype because it will really help the families in their planning. A key differential for NATE is neonatal autoimmune thrombocytopenia, and this occurs from transplacental passage of maternal autoantibodies in mothers with a history of immune thrombocytopenic purpura or SLE. Here, mum will have a history of ITP or SLE and likely will have low platelets at some point in her pregnancy. In fact, maternal disease severity and platelet count in pregnancy can help predict the severity of the disease in the neonate. For example, a maternal splenectomy has a higher risk for the baby. With autoimmune thrombocytopenia, only about 10% of infants of mothers with ITP or SLE get it and the risk of intracranial hemorrhage in the autoimmune condition is less than 1%, which is far lower than NATE. In more recent times, good maternal treatment of ITP and SLE in pregnancy with IVIG and steroids as well as splenectomy before pregnancy is making autoimmune thrombocytopenia a less common and less severe condition. All neonates mothers with known ITP or SLE should have cord blood sampled for the platelet count at birth and then have it repeated at 24 hours of age. In thrombocytopenic newborns, platelet counts should be repeated daily for 3 to 4 days as this is when they are the lowest. If they start to pick up after that, you can then follow them up accordingly. Now let's get back to Nate and let's look at the management. 
Urgent transfusion of 10 mils per kilo of platelets over 30 to 60 minutes is needed if the infant is bleeding or at high risk of bleeding. Infants are at significant risk of intracranial hemorrhage in the first few days of life. In terms of what platelets can be used, we can use maternal wash platelets, i.e. removed IgG, irradiated maternal platelets that only really last a week though, or antigen-compatible donor platelets. And it is this last option that is the first choice. IVIG or intravenous immunoglobulin can also be considered. You can consider IVIG in combination with unmatched platelets if matched platelets for the baby are not available in a timely fashion. IVIG can also be used as a standalone treatment and it can be considered but response can be delayed up to 24 to 36 hours leaving a window of risk for ICH. Other things to think about in the management is to ensure that vitamin K has been administered because we don't want a baby who has low platelets and also isn't clotting well. We also want to arrange an urgent head ultrasound to look for intracranial hemorrhage as they are at significant risk of intracranial hemorrhage in the first days of life. We also need to monitor the platelet count because if the platelet count fails to rise in response to matched platelets, consider alternative diagnoses and check for rarer maternal antibody types. We also need to have the full blood count checked daily until the platelet counts are stably over 100. It is essential that parental investigation is initiated prior to discharge, because again, it really affects the family in terms of their future planning. To top it off, let's look at what the outcomes are like for babies with Nate. The thrombocytopenia itself usually resolves gradually as maternal antibodies are cleared over the first two months of life in most patients, although some can take up to 12 weeks or longer to clear fully. And so close monitoring until platelet counts are normalized is important. We also need to carefully monitor developmental milestones for at least the first two years of life as they may manifest signs of previous intracranial hemorrhage not apparent at time of imaging. Families of children affected by NATE should be encouraged to receive reproductive counselling. The risk of a subsequent pregnancy being affected is above 90% if the father is homozygous for the affecting antigen and it is 50% if the dad is heterozygous. Subsequent pregnancies are at least as severely affected as the first. Antenatal therapy in subsequent pregnancies remains a contentious issue, but options can include intrauterine platelet transfusions, maternal immunoglobulin and steroids. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.